Welcome to the Dynasty Fantasy Football Podcast presented by the 33rd team. I'm Ryan Reynolds. I'll be filling in as host for Josh Larkey one more time. And I'm joined by the king of Dynasty Fantasy Football, Ian Miller. Today we're going to discuss, we're going to discuss talent and situations of over a dozen players to determine their value in Dynasty. Ian, you have an article coming out on the site tomorrow on this subject. Let's dive right into your headliner there and Drake London. Yeah. Uh, the article that we're releasing has to do with situations as well as talent level and how we assess that talent level and how we assess different situations. Because what we talk about all the time in the dynasty community is talent over situation. But that's just simply a saying. How are we defining what talent is? How are we defining what a situation is? And how are we going to take that advantage of that in terms of our dynasty teams? And Drake London is a prime example that we use in that article a lot. Because he's someone who basically, and is now undervalued, had one of the best rookie seasons we've ever seen from a personal standpoint. So the talent is all the way there and how we define it. But his situation was one of the worst that we've ever seen. In fact, when just looking at standard passing volume, if it wasn't for the Chicago Bears, the Atlanta Falcons threw the least amount of pass attempts as a team has thrown since the 2005 Pittsburgh Steelers. So we're talking about over 15 years of data points. We haven't seen in a situation quite this abysmal, especially when you talk about the quarterbacks that were running it weren't exactly too efficient themselves. I know for me last year, one of my favorite metrics is target share. And Drake London basically broke that for me based on his volume. But, you know, from a talent perspective, he reminded me of Mike Evans, you know, big, tall, contested catch receiver, you know, top 10 pick. Very interesting future. Um, not sure. I, I think Desmond Ritter's actually a positive for him over Marcus Mariota, oddly enough. I think they're going to be a more... They're still going to be a run-centric team, but they'll probably be more like in the 20s in terms of pass volume. Let me, let me ask you this. Are you buying or selling Drake London right now? I mean, here's the thing. You never want to get too overexposed to someone who's probably not going to score an absolute ton of fantasy points and has meaningful value. That being said, I'm buying Drake London in a vacuum because you simply can't buy this talent when the situation breaks right. One, one or many people's favorite thing to do in the dynasty community is just say, I'll buy back when the situation breaks right. Well, if the situation breaks right, let's say they have an awesome quarterback come to Atlanta or something of the sort or Drake, however it works, because we know situations are ever-changing. The issue is once that happens, Drake London is no longer a wide receiver 14, wide receiver 15 in Dynasty because everyone knows how damn good he was as a rookie. He just didn't have the situation to back his fantasy production up. So when that actually breaks right, you're not going to be able to buy him at the cost that you are now. And we're also talking about someone they can overcome a situation. Like, there's no reason that a rookie wide receiver last year should have even put up 10 points per game in a passing offense like that. You can find Ian at Dynasty underscore IM on both Twitter and Instagram. Let's dive into some quarterbacks, Ian. I know you've you've had some pretty you've had some pretty hot takes on Justin Fields over the last few months. They've been among my favorites from years because they've made me think. Give us what you got on Justin. Oh, I think Justin Fields is the ultimate dynasty double-edged sword because he has exactly what you want. Like when we talk about super flex dynasty, what do you want? You want a quarterback that can break fantasy football. And his rushing has done that. In fact, there was only one quarterback to run for more points per game in their second season than uh, uh, Justin Fields did last year. And that was Lamar Jackson in his MVP season. So we're talking about someone that can break fantasy football on the ground. I mean, we're talking about the guy at 11.3 points per game on the ground alone. That is quite insane. Now, the other double edge of that sword that we're talking about is that in that second season, we talked about how only one quarterback threw for more or rushed for more uh, points per game than Justin Fields did. 
Well, only 13 quarterbacks threw for less points per game in their second season than Justin Fields did. He basically threw the same amount as he did running when we're talking about fantasy production. And the issue that I have with that is that now real life comes into play because what matters in real life, and that's quarterback passing production. And when we look at things that are quite sticky and helpful, and like especially at real football situations like PFF passing grade, we're talking about someone who's been one of the worst passers in the league the past two seasons and has never even surpassed a 65 PFF uh, score. So we're in a situation now with year three where Justin Fields, yeah, that he could turn it up a little bit as a passer and at least prove something. And now we have someone who has a higher ceiling because he's one of the best rushing quarterbacks that we've ever seen. The issue is, well, then these two years basically mean nothing if you're just assuming that there's going to be a leap. Again, we're talking about one of the worst passers in the league up to this point in the past two years. And it's really hard to see that leap. And we need that leap from a perspective of the Bears retaining him and using him so that he can continue rushing dominance. And it's the underscore I am. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting the Lamar Jackson level rushing production last year. I thought that was one of the bigger surprises I've seen in the last several years. Um, when he was coming out from Ohio State, one of the concerns I had with him, and it's one of the reasons I thought he dropped, is when they played Wisconsin in 2019, he kind of had trouble reading like an advanced defense at least in the first half of that game. So I think that's one of the reasons he slid a little bit further than people were expecting. I, I like your point where we shouldn't be expecting him to all of a sudden take a leap. That shouldn't be the expectation. That's more of like an outlier outcome at this point. At least on that front, they did get, they, they improved their offensive line, specifically pass protection this offseason, the Bears, their wide receiver groups better. So at least there's a path to that getting better this season. But like you said, I don't think we should be banking on that right now. A guy that we're both pretty high on, at least, you know, in terms of, consensus kyler murray what do you got in kyler murray in uh well kyler murray is someone that the dynasty community just seems to hate and i will just continue to buy he's my most uh rostered quarterback in all my dynasty leagues for a good reason um kyler murray is someone who's actually never had below 20 points per game in six point passing formats and we're talking about even last season where his his uh passing production actually took a bit of a hit and Here's the difference when we talk about someone like Justin Fields and Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray wasn't a very good passer last season, albeit still better than Justin Fields. But we should expect into next year, let's pretend Kyler Murray's healthy, for example. Looking at passing production, you should trust the guy that you've seen do it before and do it at a high level. We're not that far removed from in terms of PFF passing grade. Kyler Murray was above 87 and one of the league's best passers just a couple years ago. So we're talking about someone that has proved it on the ground, and he's actually proven it in the air. So he's someone, and also the Cardinals locked him up for a lot of money. Whether you like that or not, the guy is, he's established in the NFL and has a big contract to prove that, and he's produced in fantasy football continuously. There's no reason for us to think that when he comes back, he's all of a sudden going to be worse. Because when we're looking at things like if you're buying a player, I like to see what are the negative things about this player where someone isn't wanting to buy him. And when they're silly things like, like injury discount, uh, the guy plays COD too much, or as we talked about, someone on my Twitter just simply called him the B-word. I mean, this is what we're talking about. When those are the reasons that his value is depreciating and it's not what he's doing on the field, that's when someone becomes a very clear buy for me. I mean, from my angle, two years ago through the first eight games of the season, the Cardinals were undefeated and Kyler Murray was the MVP frontrunner. He has kind of, you know, a unicorn skill set because we've had runners that are as capable as him, but very few, if any, have as high of a ceiling as a passer as he does. And, you know, you just said the Cardinals just locked him up. Say say they, say they he's healthy next year and he stays in Arizona, and Arizona has a top two, top three pick that they can then trade. 
for one of these, you know, either May or obviously Khalid Williams. If they get Caleb Williams with the first overall pick and they actually decide to trade it, they're going to get an absolute bounty to build around Kyler Murray. Offensive line's better this year with the with the selection of Paris Johnson. Still have Hollywood Brown in tow. So the, the supporting cast is okay there. And then if, you know, I, I leave the cap stuff to the general managers we actually have on staff at this company, but so I'm not sure if he can actually sure. be traded. But say if he does, like Minnesota's going to have a vacancy at quarterback next year, potentially Washington, potentially all pretty, pretty interesting situations for Murray. He's a buy for me, too, at current costs. Let's let's jump jump into another uncertain player. Last year, Deshaun Watson didn't look like his former self. He hadn't played football in over a year. But I know I'm pretty bullish on him in best ball. Just recently took him in a dynasty startup as well. What are your thoughts on Deshaun Watson? So I'll bring Justin Fields into this example again because he's someone who's actually valued higher than Deshaun Watson. And when people talk about Justin Fields, like you have an enormous ceiling on your hands. You have a fantastic ceiling on your hands, and that is true. But what do we have to see from Justin Fields to get that ceiling? We have to see him become a passer in the NFL in his third season that we've never seen him be before. And he also has to maintain basically historic level rushing, which you could definitely do, and it's actually more likely than him making that leap. But either way, that's what we have to see. With Deshaun Watson, we know that he has that upside because we've seen it. I mean, the last season that he had before this last six games that he played after basically two years off, he scored over 27 points per game. If that's not upside, I don't know what is. And when we talk about Deshaun Watson, this is someone that we've actually seen do it before, like we just mentioned. We've seen him be an adequate rusher, as well as being one of the league's best passers. And he also has the contract to back it up, like we talked about Kyler. So we're talking about someone who's established has shown that upside, isn't very old, and is valued kind of a bit below Justin Fields when you look at ADP, about at least five or six picks behind him. So when we talk about Deshaun Watson, he has that upside that you want in Justin Fields, and he's actually shown it to you before. So he's someone who also becomes a buy for me in Dynasty. Yeah, if I were a gambling man, Ian, and I am, I'd be looking to look at situations like this where there's clear upside, where there's uncertainty that's kind of lowering the value. I'm willing to lose in situations like this because from a best ball perspective, because I've been doing more of that lately, you can get to Sean Watson in the eighth round in best ball where, you know, Patrick Mahomes is going in the second. Jalen Hurts is going to the second. Watson's the only quarterback that in that in that eight round area that can actually like perform at that top five level. And it wouldn't be a surprise. So I'll take the downside in exchange for the massive upside, especially since he's, Cleveland is a you know premium offensive line. They have a decent group of skill position players too. So I'm in on Watson as well. One of the tougher things in my personal life, Ian, is Daniel Jones is currently my highest exposure quarterback in best ball. I just recently took your advice of building the foundation of the house in a super flex startup in Dynasty where we got Joe Burrow. We paired him with Daniel Jones in an auction, both young. One, what do you what do you think about taking Daniel Jones in that kind of situation where you're viewing him as a foundation? And two, what's your general outlook on him? Yeah, so I'm not as high on Daniel Jones, but the thing that we know he could do is score fantasy points, and he's locked into playing. I know the guy that we're ne- uh, we're about to talk to uh, about next, the next quarterback, kind of fits the same level. We're talking about he's going to be on the field and he's going to score fantasy points because he rushes. I mean, Daniel Jones is someone who scored over seven points per game just in rushing alone which is fantastic to see in an absolute great floor you need. The only problem with, the sh- uh, with Daniel Jones is that we haven't actually seen him be a good passer up to this point. I mean, this is someone that we haven't talked about or that hasn't quite gotten over 15 passing points per game since his rookie season. And so we kind of want to see, and the efficiency isn't there with it at the same time. 
So he made strides last year with Dayball, which is great to see. And he got extended, which in fantasy football, for what we care, that means the guy is going to be the clear starter, have his chances, and score lots of rushing points on the ground. We're hoping he can make that leap, but guess what? You don't have to pay an absolute premium for that leap to happen, and that's the difference. Well, that's where you're thinking because that's kind of where my head's at. I'm actually not crazy about Daniel Jones as a talent. I think he's more of like a you know average NFL starter, which is kind of a backhanded compliment. It means he's good, but he's not quite good enough for you know you and I are upside guys. We're not really looking for you know league average starters. I'd rather bet on Kyler Murray who has the upside. But yeah. that said. Like you said, he's still young. He was just extended. The coaching staff is a positive for me. Opponent-specific, self-aware, really, really happy about that. And the other thing I like is their offseason this year. They're stacking speed. They did it cheaply because that was available. Paris Campbell, re-signing Darius Slayton, drafting Jalen Hyatt, bringing in Darren Waller, who's a dynamic player at the tight end position. So if he does have a ceiling as a passer, we're going to get to see it this year, I think. Now, speaking of ceiling, speaking of downside, I think you're going to like my stance on this. I Some of my you know budget is earmarked towards sports collectibles, and one of the things I do is I bet on situations like Trey Lance entered the league in. Give me a first-round quarterback. I did it with Patrick Mahomes. I did it with Ben Roethlisberger when I was a kid. Give me a quarterback that's entering a situation where you have a championship-caliber roster with first-round draft capital. That does not happen very often. I'm willing to lose on that whenever. So far, this has been a disaster. What do you think the future looks like? So with Trey Lance, I don't know what the future looks like. And the thing that, that is kind of the problem when, with surrounding Trey Lance in terms of discussion around the dynasty fantasy football community is people saying he's good or he's bad. Here's the thing. We have no idea. We don't have close to enough sample size from Trey Lance. But here's my big take on it. Since 2006, we've had 23 quarterbacks selected in the top three. That means a team is very invested in you. They want to see you at the most premium position in the league. Of those 23 – not a single one has never had a season where they didn't start seven-plus games. Well, there is one, and it's Trey Lance. He's the only one. So here's my thing on it. When Trey Lance plays, he scored points in four games with above a 50% snap share. He has 20-plus points in both of those, and one of them uh, that he didn't was a monsoon game in the first week of the season. So that one's kind of hard to say because, I mean, they had to put fake yeah. camera lines just for you to see it on the <laughs> TV. But anyways <laughs> – is it more believable that Trey Lance won't have a season where he's starting a lot of games considering his draft capital, considering the situation, why he hasn't played those games? Or is it that Trey Lance is just bad? And I will take, I will take the sense that he's going to start games because his draft capital alone says he's going to start games. Look, look at guys like Sam Darnold who have been terrible with high draft capital and then they still get another chance and they still get another chance and they'll prove some things. With Trey Lance, we have someone who we've seen each season that he's played, he has over a 25% carry percentage when he plays. So he's someone who's going to score a lot of points rushing. We know that. And if it happens in the situation, like you said, that's the best weapons in the NFL right there at his disposal. So a guy who's probably going to start games because of draft capital alone, even though we're the third year into this, there's a context for why that happens. And is going to score probably a lot of points because of what he does on the ground and for how far like back his ADP is comparative to – all the other Russian quarterbacks, I'll take Trey Lance. Follow Ian at Dynasty underscore IM. That's the thing with Lance. He's the ultimate risk versus reward bet. The situation's excellent. If Brock Purdy's arm's even a little dicey, he shouldn't start the season, you know? So I'm 
I'm buying him at current cost too, just because the upside's so phenomenal. And like you said, with a guy like Sam Darnold, even if they move on from Trey Lance, someone else is going to give him a shot for at least a year. Maybe it's the Raiders next year, someone like that. So I I love that stance. Let's talk about his teammate Brock Purdy, who, from a from an observational standpoint, he was pretty much better Jimmy Garoppolo last year. Is how I'd frame it. What he did being like the last overall pick in the draft, that never happens. You know, realistically speaking, the last time that I can really think about it was Brady. Now, obviously, I don't think Brock Purdy's the next Tom Brady, but I do think it's something I do think we have to consider that pretty much anyone can have success in San Francisco. How are you treating Purdy in, in Dynasty? I mean, he feels like if the 49ers drafted Mac Jones, then this is what we'd be getting. And what I mean by that is last year with someone's rookie, he was quite good. I mean, there's no denying that he was good. There's a reason that they were at least adequate with him at quarterback. And he was solid in his first season, 74.2 PFF passing grade. But here's the reason why I say it's kind of like Mac Jones. He's someone who scored 13.9 points per game through the air, so passing, and under a point rushing. So he's someone who's not going to rush, and we didn't see that in his prospect profile, what he did at Iowa. So he's not – or Iowa State. So he's not going to be someone who's rushing for – even a strong floor or anything like that. Like when we talk about guys like Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, the three points per game that they're getting you on the ground is going to help their ceiling and their floor a bit. When you're not even scoring one, kind of like Tua last year, and you have to rely solely through the passing game, that's tough, especially when you're on an offense that isn't going to be passing the ball at a high rate because Kyle Shanahan has never thrown the ball at such a high rate. He's a guy that likes to rush the ball and then uses weapons when he has to or can. And, for Brock Purdy, he was, like you said, he's like a good Jimmy Garoppolo. But the thing is, what was Jimmy Garoppolo for fantasy? So if you're in a point like in Superflex draft, and I've taken a Brock Purdy share in the 10th round because if I get the San Francisco 49ers starting quarterback, I'm going to get some production in the 10th round of a dynasty startup. But the thing is, once it starts costing you actual value to get a guy that still isn't established by any means, and he doesn't have a rushing floor to support him, or even draft capital, and you're relying solely on that last year was good enough for him to continue being the starter. That's where if it starts costing you a bit of value to acquire a Brock Purdy, I'm out. Read there. Jimmy Garoppolo slash Brock Purdy. Fine for the NFL. You know, you can win games with them if you have an elite roster, as we saw last year. Not really sure I want Jimmy Garoppolo as my locked-in second quarterback in a super flex league unless I, I'm stuck. So I'm with you all the way there. Let's jump into some running backs. Saquon Barkley's been in the news a little bit lately. Maybe he holds out. Maybe the Giants extend him. The thing that the thing that I have here is Barkley's obviously a premium talent. You know, one of the few running backs that have gone in the top five in the last decade or so. But he's at the point now where he is getting extended. So what's his shelf life? What's his outlook long term? Yeah, if you're if you're buying Saquon, and this kind of goes in situation versus talent when we dive into it a bit in the articles, because age has a lot to do with it. And I say that because once you start looking like Saquon Barkley isn't terribly old, but we're talking about running backs, especially in today's day and age where even the NFL has devalued them so much. There's a reason that he's holding out. But there's a couple things that I have to say about Saquon. If you're buying Saquon in Dynasty, you are looking at the next year. You are not buying Saquon Barkley and saying, what am I going to have two, three from that? Three, uh, two, three years from now, if I hold him onto my roster. No, you want that running back production right away, which he will give you. He's shown that, especially with no behind him on the depth chart. We know who Saquon is. Not only is he going to take the bulk of the carries this season, he's also someone who puts up very, very strong target shares, like you mentioned. Like we're talking about someone who's going to feast in the receiving game, especially when there's no clear number one option in New York. Now, the thing that I'll say about the holdout 
is that I've, especially right now, have a really hard time believing that he's going to hold out because there's no incentive to hold out really. Because if he holds out the entire season, guess what? He's in the same exact spot and he lost a lot of money. So just speaking pretty, I mean, non-fantasy and just kind of logically, there's, it's a very slim chance we actually see Saquon hold out. Yeah, agreed. From a, you know, again, if you're a running back, especially where your shelf life shorter than basically any other position in the league, it does not make any sense at all for you to sit for a year, be in the same position next year. You'll actually probably make less in that scenario, especially now when we're in a market where Dalvin Cook wanting, you know, multiple years, like he's probably not getting it. So I'm with you there. Let's talk about another explosive NFC East running back. Tony Pollard's never gotten the full the full workload for a full season. I kind of have my doubts that he can hold up to that kind of thing because one of the things with these explosive players like him is if you give them a lot of volume and they start getting nicked up, the athleticism dips. So I think he's still going to be super valuable. I'm taking him in both you know best ball dynasty, whatever it is right now. But what are you thinking long term with him and in the and for this season as, as well? Yeah, I, I agree with you there actually a lot because one thing that we talk about running backs is that running backs, they can have a high carry percentage or hold a lot of their team's carries or rush for a lot of them, that they have proven that they can do it, um, that they have they have shown the ability over the course of time to continue taking a high bulk of the team's carries. The thing is, we have actually never seen that with Tony Pollard. He's very explosive, but he's someone in the NFL we've never seen have a 40% carry percentage, which isn't even that great. And last year was actually his best season, his first season, even getting above 35%. And the other thing is when we go back even to his prospect profile, this is someone that wasn't exactly taking a high bulk of the carries by any means. Um, So we're talking about a running back right now who hasn't shown that he can handle a high workload. No, what we have with Tony Pollard is a really good offense. And we have uh, an adequate level of receiving out of the backfield, putting up just below 12% target share last season. But the thing is, he is going to get his volume, which is good, but almost out of necessity. He is not someone that is brought into a, a lineup and said, you are going to handle a bulk of the carries like we were just talking about with Saquon Barkley. Because you don't do that with guys who have never done that. That being said, he might get thrust into a higher carry percentage role, but you should not be expecting some him to be like some 55% carry percentage, like handle a whole bulk of the carries for the Dallas Cowboys. He's going to have a solid receiving floor because he'll get targets from Dak Prescott. But yeah, we're not going to see him absolutely stacking the leaderboard and carries this season. Yeah, I'm thinking like a best case scenario for him is he sees some kind of workload similar to Austin Eckler, high value touches in the passing game, goal line work potentially, not really a massive volume behind him. And then the other thing is, where is he going to play next year? Is he going to be a cowboy again? Is he going to move on somewhere else? So what, what do you think about that? Is he a buy or a sell for you right now? He's a hold. I think I think he's fine where his value is. But just like we just talked about with Zeke, with Tony Pollard, you're not buying him for three seasons down the road. You are buying him for this season. But let's hop on to another player with a huge ceiling that's in a bit of an uncertain situation because of a knee injury. Brees Hall and the Jets. I mean, I had five offensive rookie of the year tickets before the season on Brees Hall. I think he was going to win it if he didn't get hurt. So I'm still a little bit still a little bit hurt from that. Um, reports are positive so far about his injury situation where like he might be in play for, for work and early in the season. And, you know, for this year in particular, I think if he starts getting going in the second half, he's got the jets have some pretty good matchups in the second half, especially like when fantasy championships are decided this year. What are your thoughts on Brees Hall, both this year and going forward? Yeah, I think Brees Hall is actually a pretty big buy and he has high value, but he's also a big buy because he's one of the best prospects that we've actually seen in the last 
15 or so years coming out of the running back position. But the other thing is, so what we're hearing, like you mentioned from like the doctors and stuff that I follow on Twitter and Instagram, we're getting a lot of positive reports. Even the report today that was negative, I read it today and it was all kind of just from a beat writer. There there was nothing of substance there is what I'll say. But going back to Brees Hall, the talent, it was amazing what he did last season when he wasn't even fully vamped into this big carry percentage role that we expect him to be in. I mean, just in his six and a half games played last year, he put up 2.63 yards per team rush attempt, which is really good. In fact, of someone of his uh, prospect caliber, elite plus, there's only been seven to do it. Adrian Peterson, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, Marshawn Lynch, and Jonathan Taylor. And this is someone that we're talking about did this in the first six and a half weeks of his of his NFL career. And we know rookies start getting more into their role, especially running backs, in the back half of the season. Like with Jonathan Taylor, he's fantastic. He would not be even close to this list if we were just taking the first seven weeks of your rookie season. What Brees Hall did as in just the seven weeks that he played, or six and a half, was fantastic. I mean, it puts him with some very strong company. And with the fact that we're hearing that he's progressing really well, he's very young. He's someone that I'm definitely buying because not just for this year where, he, like you said, championship week or even over the whole season, I think we'll get really solid production. But he is he is someone who has the profile that is built to last. I love that. One thing I'm going to th- throw at you from this from a situation standpoint is for the next year or two, we're looking at Aaron Rodgers, league average offensive liner, you know, maybe a little bit better. Beyond that, though, you know, what's the quarterback solution? Is it Zach Wilson getting another shot? Is it going to be like a Teddy Bridgewater level veteran at that point? You know, how do you, does that negatively impact your long-term stance at all? Or are you just still betting on the talent here with Brees Hall? I'm betting on the talent. And actually, I think what you said is an even better question for Zach Wilson or uh, Garrett Wilson, because we know how high his ADP is getting. And as good as he is, not to get off subject, but we're talking about in year two, yes, he looks primed to explode and break out, but it's no guarantee that he's going to break out in a major way in year two. And so if you get that major way in year three and Aaron Rodgers isn't there, then why was his value boosted up so much from one or maybe two seasons from Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, to give you a quick thought on Wilson, I see that exactly the same way. I think it's a bigger problem for him. Love him this year in best ball. Kind of have like tepid tepid feelings in Dynasty because that quarter, quarterback situation could genuinely tank his his value. Let's Let's hop into a first-round pick this year, Jameer Gibbs. I think he went earlier than most of us expected. He's a, you know, Austin Eckler, maybe even Austin Eckler plus level weapon in the passing game, which is fascinating. I don't usually care about camp videos at all, but one of the things I sh- I saw is that, you know, he was running running Texas routes, which is, you know, the kind of thing like guys like him can kill people with that. Like Darren Sproles with the Saints years ago just just eviscerate teams with that. So if he's used in that capacity with a little bit of, you know, a little bit of work on the ground, supplemental ground support, maybe like eight carries a game. I think he has a pretty interesting ceiling. What are you thinking about Jameer Gibbs at this point? Yeah, the draft definitely surprised us, but it made us love the Jameer Gibbs profile even that much more. Because when we talk about tw- top 20 picks, to have a receiving profile that he, he did coming out of school, in fact, we're talking about multiple 10-plus receiving yard shares as a prospect, the only other top three picks or top 20 picks to do it, Reggie Bush, Christian McCaffrey, and Saquon Barkley, and all of those guys – had 20% target shares as rookies. So with Jameer Gibbs, like you're saying, we don't have to see a full complement of a workload in the rushing game for him to have a high ceiling. 
In fact, just looking through projections, I don't have Jameer Gibbs projected for a high carry percentage by any means. I think David Montgomery eats a bulk of it actually this year. But with the with the receiving ceiling that he has and even the receiving floor that he has, we're still looking at someone who very likely finishes around that RB1 range. Um, again, we're talking about someone who we don't even think will have like a 40% carry percentage by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, Reggie. I love the Reggie Bush thing because I could see that being the case here, something very close to that. Let, let's go on to another rookie running back who I think he fits really nicely in this, you know, situation versus talent thing that we're talking about here. Tank Bigsby, Tank Bigsby's a Jaguar. What do you think about Tank Bigsby? I like Tank Bigsby. Now, if you're projecting just 2023 alone, I think it's a very weird and murky projection to come from Jacksonville to where, yeah. but here's the thing when I'm buying cheap running backs, especially where I've been getting Bigsby at the end of the second, uh, sometimes even the very, very early third. When I'm talking about Tank Bigsby is when I'm drafting these running backs, I really couldn't care too much about the situation or at least running backs in front of them because we know how fragile that position is. So I'm just sure. purely betting. If I have a talent like here with Tank Bigsby, in fact, we're talking about someone who wasn't, for my process, an upside prospect in the third round, which it's actually pretty close to a 50% hit rate when you're talking about like 14 plus point per game seasons. So there's there's a very coin flip profile there where there's definitely upside. And I'm not too worried with ETN in front of him because this tank Bigsby is good. He will get on the field and we will see it. And when you're not putting too much value into it, those are the kind of upside shots that I'm going to take because you could take those deep upside shots or late upside shots on running backs. And all it takes is one injury and tank Bigsby could have an amazing ADP that no other position could really have. Yeah. I like that. Follow Ian at dynasty underscore. I am real quick on tank Bigsby. When I was watching college players this offseason, I wrote in my notes, standard running back. Reminds me of Alexander Madison. That's not really like a negative or a positive. I thought he went a little earlier in the draft that I was expecting, which, you know, again, like that enhanced my interest in him as well. And like like Ian said, you shouldn't be too worried about the situation, especially with rookies, because anything can happen, especially at the running back position. If Travis Etienne gets hurt, this guy could have a monster season already. But. I do think, you know, you're paired with Trevor Lawrence long-term. The Jaguars have a pretty good offensive line. And Travis Etienne's not really a guy who's going to be – he's a bit like Tony Pollard in a sense. Like, he's more of an explosive player. Probably not taking 20, 25 touches a week. He's probably not going to hold up to that. So, I like Bigsby's outlook long-term as well. Changed much differently than it was pre-draft for me. Let's jump into some wide receivers. Chris Olave has been rising up for me a little bit this year. I recently put a 70-1 to offensive player of the year bet on him now. 50 to one now currently i think i one of the reasons i'm bullish on chris olave right now is because of their schedule long term i'm probably a little bit less so so i'm very curious to see what you think about chris olave right now yeah i actually i love olave and i've actually gotten some heat for it because i recently put that you could get olave a full round later than garrett wilson and i actually like taking that cheaper discount because what chris olave did as a rookie is kind of underappreciated because he was so fantastic like it's not too often you see guys have deep average depth of targets and also earn a crap load of targets. Like let's talk about Mike Williams. The issue was he had such a high average depth of target because he was a deep threat, but he wasn't continuously earning targets downfield. In fact, we saw Mike Williams career high target share the, the year prior when his a dot went down to a career low. So he finally started earning a bulk or a high volume targets when the average depth of target was closer to the quarterback. Now, with Chris Olave, he continued to earn a very high amount of targets deeper down the field, and that helped his like yards per team pass attempt. 
In fact, there's only been five rookie wide receivers to have a 2.25 plus yards per team pass attempt with Chris Olave being one of them and the other four being Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Odell Beckham Jr. and A.J. Brown. So no, no matter what bucket you keep putting him into, you're going to get names like that because his peripherals were actually pretty crazy, especially for the role that he had last year. Dude, there was. I'm going to, I'm going to throw this at you real quick with Olave. I wrote up, up, I wrote him up from a bunch of angles on the 33rd, 33rd team.com. One of the things I found is when you compare his rookie season to Garrett Wilson's on a per game basis, they were pretty similar in a lot of areas. Very, very close. Olave actually had the edge on him in a number of ways. The other thing is this. Derek Carr's 31, 32 years old. He's going to be around for what? Three, four more years at minimum for New Orleans. Olave actually has a much more stable quarterback situation than Garrett Wilson does long term. Yeah, I actually think it's kind of funny that I said, especially because I put in like uh, my projection that I actually have Olave for like a tiny bit higher median projection than I do Garrett Wilson. And it was kind of funny seeing the pushback, like how crazy people thought I was. Because, again, we're talking about someone like, like neither of them had good quarterback situations last year. And it was right. Olave that outscored him. So, we're t- right. like, it, it doesn't seem too crazy of a take to say the guy that outscored him last year will outscore him again. But at least for where his value is, I'll take the. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm I'm, I'm loading up, loading up on him in a bunch of formats. Now, let's talk about a let's talk about wi- a winning piece right now because he's a little bit on the old older side. We got Cooper Cup with the Rams, Matthew Stafford's back, Sean McVay's back. The rest of the the roster outside of Aaron Donald's a bit of a disaster. So I think the Rams are actually a sneaky shootout team because you have an MVP caliber quarterback, you have an excellent play caller on offense, but the defense might be a bottom five type unit. What are you thinking about Chris C- Cooper Cup and Dynasty? I actually think Cooper Cup's a pretty big buy. I mean, especially yeah. if you're a contender. Like I was just looking at ADP. And he's at like wide receiver 15 or 16, which just seems crazy because, yes, I know Dynasty is a longer game, but they have tight end one Travis Kelsey because he's such a game wrecker. So why is Cooper Cup, who has just as good a shot as anyone pretty much to finish wide receiver one overall, so late? You can get him at wide receiver 16. I mean, he is someone we're talking about. He is a target black hole on an offense. So you're just seeing targets just being vacuumed into this guy. In fact, he's only the sixth wide receiver to have multiple 30 plus target shares, 30 plus percent target shares in their career. And the other guys that I'm naming are AJ Green, Brandon Marshall, DeAndre Hopkins, and Antonio Brown. And I'm not sure like if too many viewers know this, but a lot of those guys were fantastic later in their careers. Like Brandon Marshall was amazing later in his career. DeAndre Hopkins is still doing okay late in his career. Antonio Brown was awesome late in his career. And it was actually, he was awesome up until the point he took his shirt off and ran off the field. Yeah, I mean, the other thing with Cup, too, that I think will age well is he's not reliant on speed. He's more of a route runner, more of a separation player based on how how fluid he is. He has wonderful hands, too. He reminds me a bit of Larry Fitzgerald, you know, which is, you know, Larry Fitzgerald's probably going to be a Hall of Fame wide receiver. So I actually think he might have a few more years left in the gas tank, too. And I know for me, like, I recently did a startup, and I was it was an auction, and I was thinking to myself, like, do I actually want to just try to win year one and get a couple of these like you know cheaper veterans like Cup and stack them up? So that's something to think about as well. Another guy, same kind of range and value in, in like traditional season long and best ball, but it's a little bit different in dynasty because of age. I think you actually have them in the same cluster, if I'm not mistaken. Let's talk about Tyreek Hill for a little bit, Ian. 
Yeah, he's kind of in that same uh, cluster that we talked about where this is a guy who has a very good shot at a wide receiver one overall. He was also a target black hole on a very good offense, one of the, well, the fastest offense, and he was really good. I mean, he's clear top five wide receiver last year, and we have reason to believe that he's just going to do it again this year. And if I can get those guys, unfortunately, I'm not getting them as late as you're getting Cooper Cup. You're still getting a guy who has a fantastic shot at finishing wide receiver one overall, and you don't have to spend that kind of price tag because – well, for some reason, him at 30 years old saying he's going to play three more years and retired somehow dropped his value a little bit, which like you shouldn't you shouldn't be focusing on Tyree Kill at 33 right now right. Uh, on your team. Yeah, especially with him. I mean, he's so reliant on speed. Like once that goes, he's going to be an entirely, entirely different player where someone like Cooper Cup or Mike Evans might be able to hang around a little bit longer based on, you know, just the difference in skill set. Here's another guy. That is tremendous short-term upside. He's in a very good spot, but kind of like an uncertain situation, even like a borderline unprecedented situation in some ways. What do you got on Calvin Ridley? Yeah, so I actually really like Calvin Ridley, especially at value now. I'm not sure in the past week or so, because I know Christian Kirk versus Calvin Ridley has been kind of a widespread discussion, but we're not too far removed from them being basically back-to-back in value and ADP. Now, here's the thing. Who would I rather take, Christian Kirk or Calvin Ridley? Well, we've seen Calvin Ridley do it. In fact, the last season that he played, his peripherals put uh, Christian Kirk's career highs kind of to rest. They were much better than what Christian Kirk's career highs were. And last season as a career high, he finished as a fringe wide receiver too in a pretty good offense. Now, here's the thing. Maybe Christian Kirk is the safe option, as people are saying, because we've seen him do it. Calvin Ridley has taken a year and a half off, basically. And that's totally fair. But here's the thing. I've seen Calvin Ridley do it. His peripherals have put him in wide receiver one range. He has finished a top five season. He has an 18-plus point-per-game season under his belt. Only 13 third-year wide receivers have done that, and Calvin Ridley is one of them along with a stack list of names. So here's my thing with Calvin Ridley. If I'm buying Christian Kirk, I'm saying, okay, my upside here is probably wide receiver two range, but, hey, at least the floor I'm getting is probably wide receiver three range. I, and that's just an example based on kind of rough peripherals. I, if I'm doing the same thing with Calvin Ridley, give me the shot that I can have a top five wide receiver, even if the floor is a wide receiver four in fantasy football. Because I don't care too much about a wide receiver two, wide receiver three, when I could spend an upside shot somewhere. And I'm not even sure it's as entirely unsafe as people are saying he is. To finish as an 18-plus point-per-game score, that's the upside that I'm going to chase, especially when you're talking about like wide receiver 33, wide receiver 34 range. Right. One, one, of, the, one of the things I'm going to attack on that, too, is Calvin Rid- Ridley isn't just a fir- former first-round wide receiver that's produced in the NFL. He's an Alabama first-round round wide receiver. There's been just such a consistent amount of these guys who have been excellent for you know the, the prime of their careers, the majority of their careers. So... I think like if he went to Baylor and he was a first round pick, I'd be a little bit more scared of his floor. But since he was an Alabama guy, like they just, you know, for, for a decade or more now, they're just bringing in the best of the best. And he's with Trevor Lawrence. Now there's just, I'm with you, man. Like give me the upside shot with a guy like Ridley over a safer Christian Kirk type play. Speaking of lack of safety, I'm ready to get hurt again, less so than I was last year, but Kadarius Tony plays with Patrick Mahomes, the wide receiver room in Kansas city isn't exactly chalk-filled with reliable options. What do you think about Kadarius Tony and Dynasty? Yeah, I think Kadarius Tony is kind of a pretty weird and unique case. I mean, we're talking yeah. about someone that when he's on the field, he earns a ton of targets. Like, the guy yeah. has like a 24 and 28% target rate on his resume. But here's, here's the weird thing that we talk about Kadarius Tony. 
he had a 24% target rate last year and a 6% target share. That is vastly different. So the guy was not getting on the field. So not only do we have to see the leap of him on the field, then we also have to see him do it in a much, much higher sample. I've used this example with Josh before, and it, it kind of relates to Kadarius Tony. I could go inside an NBA gym right now and shoot three three-pointers, and there's a decent chance that I make two of them. And I'll be saying, wow, I am a 66% three-point shooter. I am so amazing at this. But guess what? If I go to that same gym and I take 100 shots, I will bet my life savings I'm not hitting 66 of those. And so that's the thing. Yeah. When the sample size gets bigger, so I do have my doubts when it comes to Kadarius Tony, where I'm pretty hesitant, even with that fragile wide receiver value he has attached. Follow Ian on Twitter and Instagram at Dynasty underscore IM. He's away right now, so his internet's a little bit shoddier than usual, but Ian's a, fan, Ian's a fantastic analyst. And, you know, the truth is here, you know, I think you actually probably, like, reined me in a little bit on Kadarius Tony. Again, I haven't been going crazy on him at all. Uh, it's just the Patrick Mahomes aspect of it, where, again, like you said, I loved your basketball analogy because from just, like, a pure, like, workload standpoint, like, Kadar Kadarius Tony, Tony could see sub 50% roster participation, even if, he's, even if he's healthy for the whole year, which availability has been his biggest problem. So definitely tread lightly I, on Kadarius Tony. I did pull a list up for you too, because I think it helps for context. Um, when we talk about guys that earn targets at a really high rate, but they aren't actually earning those targets in the grand scheme of things. So here's all the players that have a 22% plus target rate in their first two seasons, but have never hit a 20% target share in those seasons. We're talking about, Denario Alexander, Jakeem Grant, Darrell Jernigan, Devin Hester, J.J. Nelson, and Denarius Moore. So when there's not really like a good example to look at, that's when I get nervous. Yeah, it's uh that's a pretty terrifying cluster of players, Ian. <laughs> if we're if we're gonna if we're gonna, you know, shoot straight on it, that is a pretty terrifying cluster of guys. Uh, you know, let's close out with three tight ends here. We just did our tight end tiers last week. You can check that podcast out on the 33rd Teams ne podcast network on both Spotify and Apple. It was the first time I've ever hosted a show. Shout out to Zach Cohen for erasing the two or three long pauses I had. Thanks for bailing me out, pal. Tight ends. George Kittle. George Kittle, in some ways, is among the most frustrating fantasy assets there's ever been because from a pure talent and, like, well-rounded talent perspective, you could argue that George Kittle is, like, in, you know, maybe Rob Gronkowski is the only tight end that's a better all-around tight end than him from a talent perspective. His usage is a little bit up and down. What are your thoughts on George Kittle and Dynasty? Yeah, so if you're buying George Kittle and Dynasty, it's for immediate production. So you have to kind of look at the right. situation more so than you would with a guy like Kyle Pitts, for example. Now, the thing with George Kittle is he's been a fantastic tight end. The talent, like you mentioned, is all the way there. He's someone who's earned a good amount of targets and put up continuous strong fantasy finishes. The thing was we actually saw his – target rate slip a little bit he went to a below 20 percent target share for the first time in a few seasons and we also know he's getting older and the other thing when looking at the situation is we have a brandon Ayuk who we are still expecting to continue to earn more targets than he already did and he already out targeted george kittle last year we have debo samuel who's kind of in the same situation and he has been out uh targeting george kittle now also throw on christian mccaffrey who's someone who can get up to a really high target share in fact kind of close to what George Kittle had last season. So when you have this very packed offense that doesn't throw for a high volume of passing attempts, it gets hard for to take your chance on a guy with a high ADP 
when it's a pretty clustered offense, his peripherals have been falling a little bit, and now he's entering his 30-year-old season, basically. So I do have my doubts, but at the same time, it's a tough tight end market. You're not going to find more guaranteed production, in a sense, than George Kittle. But the high upside, I think, is kind of left the building, especially for his current situation he's dealing with. I like that. I like that. I know I know in best ball drafts, because I've been kind of avoiding him in Dynasty, but in best ball drafts, like just his spike week potential is, you know, I won't say it's unparalleled, but there's only like three or four guys that have yeah. have that, you know, Andrews, Kelsey. I'd probably put Pitts in, in the third category there, but that's how I see him. Let's I'm gonna I'm gonna let you rip here first and then I'm gonna tack something on when you're done. Because I'm I'm Dalton Kincaid, I think, is a very important solve in both season long best ball dynasty. What do you think about Dalton Kincaid in Buffalo? I mean, I think Dalton Kincaid is safe in a sense that whatever his value yeah. is now, people shouldn't be expecting. And I've been saying it. So hopefully him having a lackluster year, let's say, doesn't actually drop his value too much. Because from a yeah. tight end perspective, you shouldn't be expecting rookie tight ends to play right away. In fact, if I look at all upside and low floor first round tight ends, the average points per game is only 7.6. And only one of those players in Evan Ingram got above even 10 points per game, and that's in tight end premium formats. So we shouldn't be expecting a ton out of Dalton Kincaid. But the thing is, I push back on a lot of very, very high people that I see on Dalton Kincaid for a few reasons. Because of his prospect profile. Because one thing that we like to see from tight ends, he got one thing that we really like to see. That's draft capital. He's drafted in the first round. So he has a pretty safe floor. But that being said, tight ends, we don't really care about the floor too much because you want to get into that selective upside. Like, we talk about David and Joker right now. He has a solid floor. Evan Ingram has a solid floor in 2023. But again, they're not super meaningful tight ends. So we need guys to get to a meaningful range. For Dalton Kincaid to do that, it's tough to see because he has the first round draft capital. Now, does he have the high end athleticism? I don't think so. I mean, this is a guy that didn't test and his projection said that he wasn't going to be a high athleticism tight end to begin with. And then the other thing is, when we look at his production profile, which people raved about his production profile, we're talking about someone who, like all the highlights from him at Utah last year, he was 22 years old. He's still a year, I, I bring this up, he's still a year older than Kyle Pitts. He's been in the NFL for two years. So you're talking about his strong production that he put up at Utah. He was 21, 22 years old, much older than his peers, which is something that I use in my prospect process. So I, I do have hesitancy, especially at the high value that Dalton Kincaid is. But I will say it should be safe enough because you shouldn't be expecting the year one production. And as Dynasty folks have gotten smarter, I think, would kind of realize that. Yeah, that's, that's exactly why I wanted to ask you about him. Because, again, you have the first round draft capital with, you know, an, a perennial MVP contender in Josh Allen. But he is a bit on the older side. I also don't view him as like a tremendous athlete either. I think he's more like... I think he's more like you could get Cole Beasley production out of him, out of the tight end slot. And on top of that, Dawson Knox is going to yeah. be a bill for at least the next two years. Like he's going to cut into his playing time. I don't know if Dalton Kincaid's like, you know, full-time slot role. That doesn't really make sense to me. I think he sees significant reps in that area, but at least in the short term, I could see this, this falling below people's expectations as well, just based on the situation. Long term, you know. If he ends up being that premium type talent, a little better than we think he is, he's in the right spot to really make a difference. The last tight end we're going to talk about, I'm going to do this to myself two weeks in a row, Chagosium Okonkwo. Excellent athlete. Titans pass catching room is pretty thin. You have Traylon Burks. Then, you know, Okonkwo could be the second guy in the offense. What are your thoughts about Okonkwo this year and then long term? 
Yeah, so Okonkwo is a guy where we don't expect rookie tight end production, as we mentioned, but what he did on a per-route basis was fantastic. No one's debating that. He put up above 2.5 yards per route run, which is really good. But it goes back to that basketball example that I had. You have to be able to see it uh, for it to have a high floor or even for you to trust that high ceiling. You have to be able to see it in a larger sample. So what we're going to need to see more with, with Nkonkwu is that he's going to be used in the passing game and running a lot more routes than he did last season and for him to continue the amazing efficiency that he did last season. And also, his prospect bucket is still relevant to us only going into year two because just using year one production is not as accurate when you combine that with a prospect profile going into year two. So, And his was a bust prospect. So he didn't have a good prospect profile. He didn't have the best year last year, but what he did on a per-out basis was fantastic. But there's a lot of reason why I have his hesitancy, especially when I see people putting him above like Dulcich and stuff, where I have a lot more confidence in that ceiling being a real thing. So with Okonkwo, I think the best thing that managers can hope for is DeAndre Hopkins doesn't come to town so that you can see him used uh, in the receiving game a bit more than he would be if he wasn't. I like it. I like it. You're on vacation, Ian. Let's get out of here. Let's get you out of here with one final question. Give us, give us your thoughts on one player that we didn't discuss yet. Oh, that's a great question. I mean, shoot, we even talked about Drake London. We've hit all the amazing rookie wide yeah. receivers from last year. Um, I'll just quick, since we talked about Justin Fields so much, I'll bring up Anthony Richardson because I, I think I'm kind of on the minor side of this. Now, I, I'm not totally naive to markets. I will not, in a startup, take Anthony Richardson above a Justin Fields. Now, if we threw value completely out the window and we were playing Dynasty, I would take Anthony Richardson above Justin Fields. Why? Because, well, they both have job security. And while Anthony Richardson may not run for, well, I meant Anthony Richardson has all the job security. Now, he may not run for as historic of a pass or a production that uh, Justin Fields did with his above 10 points per game on the ground, but he is still going to be near that range, at least what we've seen from his prospect profile. And he's someone that is going to have a long leash on being a good passer. And what has Justin Fields done while being a, or simultaneously while being an awful passer in the league? He's got himself to a first round ADP and a top 10 quarterback in dynasty. And he's been one of the league's worst passers, which is the main reason why you should be buying into an Anthony Richardson profile. 